Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. I don't know about you, but when someone steals my candy, I get really, really mad. And you know, I wish I could tell you that my response is like the last two little ones. I wish I could, but it's not. Um, I don't like it when somebody comes and takes what is mine and, and purposefully hurts me. You know, what we're doing today is we're talking about grace. And that grace is greater than, grace is greater than anything you put up against it. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 that grace is great. Grace is greater than your sin. Grace is greater than your shame. Grace is greater than your secrets. Grace is just greater than. You know, it's a beautiful truth that God's grace is greater than all the stuff in our lives. And, you know, I love talking about, I love talking about grace. On one hand, I love to talk about grace and what it means to me. On the other hand, it's really frustrating to try to explain something that can't be explained. With grace, you can teach about it, you can talk about it, but until you experience it, you just don't get it. Grace impacts us at the core of who we are. Grace makes a difference in your life. Grace makes a difference in my life. It's like we have all been sentenced to life in prison and then we have been set free. It's like all have been diagnosed with this terminal illness and then someone comes up with a cure. It's like all of us have racked up this incredible debt and we can't and we don't have the ability to pay it off and then someone comes along and they forgives us our debt. That's grace. That's how grace works in our lives. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to flip the grace coin over and we're going to look at messy grace. We're going to look at uncomfortable grace today because when you're on the receiving end of grace, it's all good. But when we're talking about grace, it it gets a little messy. Grace is a lovely concept as long as we aren't talking about the person who purposefully hurt us. As long as we stay away from the person who, who has done something wrong for us against us someone who has taken something of ours like the father who berated you the spouse who cheated on you the the boss who fired you the friend that betrayed you grace is a fine idea as long as you're on the receiving end but but when it's up to you there's a messy grace sometimes that that happens when we're asked to extend grace to give grace Proverbs 14.10 says, every heart knows its own bitterness, meaning this, we've all been hurt in life. We've all experienced hurt. We've experienced pain. We all carry around some of those things with us that maybe has happened years and years ago or maybe as recent as yesterday. We all have these sins that have been committed against us and all of a sudden grace gets a little more messy. I want you to do this with me. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. That's the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to study a parable called the unmerciful servant. And here's what we're going to learn is that grace is only grace if it goes both ways. I'm going to say that again. Grace is only grace if it goes both both ways. Biblical grace, grace that comes from God, goes both ways. If all you do is receive it, but you don't give it, then you've stopped short of what grace really is and what grace really means. 
And here's what I want us to know. And that is the extent to which we are willing to give grace reveals the extent to which we've received grace. Grace all becomes real when we are called to give it. That's when it's a reality to me. That's when it becomes a clear, clear reality in my life. So the equation today is this. Grace is greater than your hurt. And here's the litmus test. The litmus test for the reality of the gospel in your life is the extent to which you give grace and forgiveness to the person who has hurt us the most and deserves it the least. Now, you still with me? Because last weekend we talked about receiving grace. We talked about the wonderful gift of grace, that grace is greater than sin, it's greater than religion, it's greater than shame. And today what we're talking about is something that's a little more uncomfortable. Today we're talking about something that hits us to the core of who we are. It's something that calls us out in our life, our everyday life, our everyday relationship. Now, when we talk about this, it is uncomfortable. But that's when you know that this is all real. Here's how this passage starts off. This passage starts off with Peter coming to Jesus and asking Jesus a question. Jesus got asked a lot of questions from a lot of different people. So Jesus is used to this, but this time it's one of his disciples. So Peter comes, and whenever it says, and Peter's going to speak, I listen. I listen closely because I think I'm a lot like Peter. I want to have answers, and there's sometimes this impulsive nature about my life. And uh, so I listen to what Peter has to say. But Peter asks Jesus this, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who has sinned against me? Up to seven times? <clears throat> Now, Peter, what he does here is he sets up a math problem. That's what he's doing. Is seven times greater than grace? Now, here's what I want you to think about just for a moment. It seems to me when Peter asks this question that he has someone in mind. I mean, he's asking this question. He's using a particular number. And I think this number may be accurate for him. I think, in fact, that there is a face to this. I think there's a person to this. I think that Peter has gone and he's forgiven someone seven times. And I think he thinks that he's pretty benevolent here. You know what I'm saying? And and the reason I think he's benevolent by using the number seven is because the rabbinical law says that after three times you forgive someone, the fourth time all bets are off. So Peter has gone above and beyond the rabbinical law of his day. He's gone seven times. And so I'm wondering if he's asking Jesus like this, Lord, you know, I mean, how many times do you forgive someone? Because, you know, I've done it seven times. And I know the law only says three, so aren't I a good boy? I wonder if that's what was going on in Peter's mind. Peter seems really gracious with this formula, doesn't he? And I wonder if Peter, again, had someone he was thinking about, someone who had hurt him, not just once, not just twice, not just three times, but someone had hurt him seven times. Uh, I think Peter's question is a good question. I look at this, uh, how far is too far? How much is too much? When does grace run out? When is hurt greater than grace? And then Jesus answers his question and says, I tell you, not seven times, Peter, but 77 times. What's Jesus saying here? 
Jesus is saying that grace is never less than, that grace is always greater than. And then our response at times is, well, Jesus, you, you really don't understand. You don't know how deep this pain is. You don't know how long I've lived with this pain. You don't know how, how I hurt, how broken I am, how messy I am inside. You see, we might acknowledge this to, to be true even. We might come and say, yeah, I, I get that with my head. I understand what Jesus is saying with my mind. I understand Scripture. I, under, I understand what I think grace is and the equations of grace mathematically. But emotionally, it's hard for me to get my arms around this one. Emotionally, it's really difficult for me to get to that place where I hear what Jesus is saying and I really believe what Jesus is saying and I really practice what Jesus is saying. It's just so hard. It may be true, but um, it's sure difficult and it sure doesn't feel true when we listen to the words of Jesus that we've been hurt seven times or even more And then you look at verses 23 through 25, and it says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So the master wants to collect what is owed him. What is owed him is 10,000 bags of gold. That is a lot of money. In fact, it's equivalent to about $150 million today. If you were to translate it out today, it's about $150 million. Or in another way, you can say this. It was 10 times the national budget for the people of their day. It's a huge number. It's an astronomical number. So Jesus paints this picture that tells us there's absolutely no way this amount will or can be paid. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's putting this number out here and he knows nobody can reach it. He he knows this is astronomical. He knows that not even the richest person can actually pay this back. And so he uses this amount in this parable in the ancient world that if you collected a debt, what you risked would be that your family would be thrown in prison. Your family could be enslaved if you didn't have the ability to pay it back. So what they would do is if you had no ability, the debtor could come and could say, then we're taking your children, probably first the children because their lifespan was a little longer. They could get more money out of them and said, hey, we're bringing them into slavery. They're going to work and they're going to pay your debt off. And when they didn't think that was enough, they would take the whole family. When they didn't think that was enough, they would seize property. This was a brutal time. This was a brutal day. And the people who were listening to this parable understood clearly what Jesus was talking about. In fact, they may have had some of their family and friends experience the same thing from somebody they owed money to. So this was hitting close to home. And clearly... Clearly, this parable is meant to reflect our standing with God. That all of us have sinned and that sin has racked up this incredible debt that we can never repay. That that we can never do enough to, to make it right. And the wages of sin is death. But oftentimes we go through life and... And we pretend that this really doesn't exist, that, 
that, that I really don't owe this debt, that, that, that everything's fine. And when we do realize that we're in debt, what do we do? We, we try to work our way out of it. We, we try to do what we talked about last week. We try to do enough good deeds so the account will come up and be even, so the books can be clean, so all of that can be wiped away. And we recognize that the balance never takes place, that we can work all we want, we can be as religious as we want, and we're never, ever going to pay that debt off. This parable is a reminder that we all owe this huge debt and that we all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God, that God is keeping an account. See, we we sometimes don't believe that that's happening, that God kind of looks the other way, but God knows. God keeps track. When my kids were little, they would go out for their Halloween time and they would collect all this candy. And it was kind of interesting. After a while, they kind of got wise to their father. And this is a confession. This is a confession. And, And they would bring their candy home and they realized that I would go to their candy bags, and it was even, I, I, it was all three. I didn't just pick on one, I went to all three. And I figured this, I figured, you know, I put a roof over their head, you know, and I put clothes on their back, and I give them food to eat, so, you know, some of that candy's mine. Well, what they did is they would, they would count the candy they knew I liked, and they would make sure that they knew exactly how many bags of peanut M&Ms were in their candy. They would count them. I didn't know they would count them. I didn't recognize. I think they all got together and said, listen, we need to count these because if we don't, Dad's going to rob us, man. He's going to take our candy. And I I would. After they went to bed, I'd go look. There's one bag. There's another bag. And I went through. And I got them. The next morning, they would go. They would count. They would keep a count of how many bags of peanut M&Ms they had. And they would say, hey, Dad, you took our candy. I was busted. I was busted. What could I do? You know, I... Chalked it on my face, you know, how they had my fingers. And, and they, they would look at me and say, Dad, you took, you, took, you took our candy. Listen, we don't mind if you take our candy. Just, just ask us, Dad. You know, just ask us, and we'll be okay with this. But they knew. They kept account. They kept account, and they knew when I took their candy, I was busted. And the biblical story here, the Bible paints this picture that God is keeping track, and, and there is a record of our wrongs. But we think that that we can get away with certain things. We think that no one else knows. No one else knows that I've lied. No one else knows that I've cheated. No one else really knows. Listen, God knows. God knows. The Bible says that there's nothing in all creation that is hidden from our God. That we have this huge debt and we can't pay it off. And then the parable continues to unfold in verses 26 and 27. It says, At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled, listen, canceled the debt and let him go. The servant begs his master and he says, I'll pay it back. I'll pay everything back. Well... No, he won't. That's ridiculous. He's never going to pay this back. He can't do this. He has no ability to pay this back. This is $150 million. The servant has no possibility, no chance to pay this amount back. And then it says that the master had pity on him. Some of your translations say mercy, had mercy on him and canceled the debt and he let him go. A hundred and fifty million dollars. 
It's this incredible act of grace. That what Jesus is teaching here is that grace is greater than. That grace is greater than anything you can throw up against it. This is an incredible act of grace. He doesn't extend a note. He doesn't lower the monthly payment. He doesn't say to him, well, just give me interest only. He cancels it. He cancels the debt. Now, I want you to look at two phrases right here. Two phrases, cancel the debt and let him go. When you see those two phrases, what you might want to know is when you translate those into English, both those phrases come out with the same word. The same word is forgive. That's the, it's the same word. That, that's what Jesus is, is saying here. He's just saying it in different ways. And it says here that Jesus forgave or the, the master forgave. And then we look at the story and it goes on a little further, but it takes this disturbing twist. Because you would think that if someone had a debt canceled of $150 million, that they would be benevolent, that they would be gracious, that they would extend grace. And so you go on and you read the story in verses 28 through 31, and it says this, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, Be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused, instead he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. Okay, this is a bit bizarre, isn't it? I mean, this, when you read this, it's disturbing. A hundred silver coins amounts to today $20. That's what it amounts to today. So the guy who was forgiven $150 million refuses to forgive $20. And notice that both men were asked the same for the same grace from their master. When you look at it, you can compare verse 29 with verse 26. Both of them, it says the same thing. They both fell to their knees and said, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. Their plea was the same. What they asked from their master was exactly the same. They just came and they, they, they begged. And the first man who owed $150 million, what happened? He received grace. He received great grace. You, you would think that the first man would extend grace and forgive the $20 debt. His was forgiven $150 million. Of course, of course he's going to forgive someone else who only owes $20. Of course he's going to. He was shown mercy, and you would think that if you're shown mercy, you would give mercy. But he didn't. He, he refused and had the man thrown in prison. Now, now, there's a verse here that oftentimes we overlook because we get pretty involved with this story. And by now, um, you know, we're looking at this story going, my goodness, what's happening here? What's going on here? Especially if you've read it for the first time. But I don't want you to overlook verse 31. It's easy to get lost in the story. Verse 31 says, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, distressed, deeply saddened, whichever translation you have. And they went and they told their master 
everything that had happened. Jesus says that the fellow servants are the ones who reported him. The fellow servants saw how much grace had been extended and the fact that this guy refused to give it, it says here that they were outraged. They were outraged at their fellow servant. Why? I mean, really, I mean, when you think about it, it's no business of their own, but it is. They, they were outraged. They were so upset because they all lived in community. They lived in community where they have this master who does not treat them like a servant. They have a master who treats them like a son and like a daughter. That's the kind of master that's being portrayed here in this particular parable. Where they have this master who is incredibly benevolent, who is incredibly gracious, who is incredibly generous. And they all live in community. And when one of their own receives grace but refuses to give it, this is a big problem to the community. This is a big problem. They are outraged. And this is an appropriate response. Because when we see in our community someone receive great grace but then refuses to give it, that creates outrage. That creates sadness. In community, grace doesn't work when we receive it, but refuse to give it. When we see someone who has received grace, and then they turn around, and they're judgmental to others, that's deeply disturbing. When we see legalism set in, and we try to make ourselves feel better about ourselves by imposing rules that don't even exist in the Bible, that is a problem. That's a problem in community. There's a sickness. And Jesus is pointing this out, this out to us. So within the parable of grace, there's also a call for some righteous outrage, for righteous indignation. That as a church... We are not okay with ungrace. We're not okay with that. We aren't okay when one of our own is judgmental or legalistic. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay when someone comes into this church, into this family, and they may be different than we are. They may be broken. They may be a mess. There may be hardships in their life. And if we treat them less than, it's not okay. Because that's us. That is us. This is all of us. So you see in this parable a community who reflects the master's heart. That's what you're seeing here. You're seeing these servants who see this discrepancy in this other servant's life, and what do they do? They go report him, and the master is outraged as well. And what you're seeing is this reflection. The servants that reported and the master, there's there's an equal heart here. In verses 32 through 34, it says, And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I... 
I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owes. Well, that's going to take a long time. $150 million. That is going to take a a long, long time, especially if you're in prison. It's very difficult to pay back $150 million when you're free. How long will that take? That will take forever. It will never happen. It will never happen. He'll never pay it back. He will spend the rest of his life in prison with this overwhelming sense of guilt for what he's done. That's what he's going to live with. He is going to live with that. And do you know what that is called? That is called hell. That's what it's called. This parable is not vague. This parable is not unclear. You know, there are a lot of parables that <laughs> when you're reading them, there's that hidden treasure and they're, they're parables because of that, that Jesus is, is hiding uh, some truths and parables and he's waiting for his listeners to, to find the answers, to go on a hunt to find the answers. This is one of the very few parables that Jesus is absolutely clear about what he thinks, about what he feels, about the heart of God. He doesn't hide anything here there's no ambiguity here none whatsoever and so what does he do he ends the parable with a very clear message in verse 35 this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart you know what happens immediately when i hear that and maybe the same thing happens to you i push back i say hey 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 wait a minute Wait a minute, this is kind of harsh. You know, this, I mean, I've been hurt, and, and it is deep. And, and Jesus is saying this in this parable, but I want you to know this. I know that there's profound hurt, but I'm not saying this. I am just reading what Jesus says. I'm, I'm reading to you what he says to you and what he says to me, what he's spoken to my heart. We're all in the same boat. We've all been broken. We've all been hurt. I'm in the same boat with you. You're in the same boat with me. We're together. This is community. Jesus is saying it's not enough just to receive grace. You must give grace. You know my response to that? It's not fair. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This person owes me something. It is not fair. I want an account. I want to take care of this. I I know that person or persons who hurt me, who hurt you, they owe us something. It's right here in this parable. It's in black and white. You can read it. When someone steals your candy, they owe you something. When someone takes something of yours, they owe you something. When someone purposefully hurts you, they owe you something. They owe you at least an explanation. You know, at least tell me why you did what you did. Tell me. But you know what I found out about explanations? (laughs) When I've really been hurt, it, it never satisfies. 
It never takes care of the pain. It never takes care of the hurt. You can have all the explanations in the world. And, and does it really? Does it really make the account clean? Does it really add up? Does it really balance the scales? They owe me something. They, they owe me my childhood. They owe me my marriage. They owe me my money. I know. Listen, you won't ever be asked to give more of, of it than you have already received. Let me put the math problem up there again for you. $150 million is greater than 20 bucks. That, that's, that's the math problem. <laughs> and you put it in the math equation. Any way you say that, any way you look at that, $150 million is greater than $20. $20. Everyone knows that. Don't have to be very, around very long. My, my three-year-old grandson, he could look at that and he can count the zeros and say, wow, that's a lot of money. I don't know exactly how much it is, but it's a lot more than the one that has one zero behind it. I know that for sure. This doesn't make light of our hurt. This does not make light of our pain. That's not what this is intended to do. It's to say... The more you understand yourself and God's grace, the more you understand how true this equation is. The more you know how much God has poured out his grace on you and for the reasons why he's poured that grace out on you, you understand you get this equation. And if this doesn't make sense to you, then you really don't understand the gospel and you really don't understand yourself. Here's a quote I love. It's a quote by Jean Leroux. It says, If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't understand yourself very well. I, wow. Well, I, Lord, I'm a, a sinner, but I'm not a, I'm not a sinner sinner. I'm not one of those kind. By just saying that, I sinned. It's called self-righteousness. That's called pride. That's called religion. There was a time that I, that I, would, I would push back on the statement. There was a time that I would distance myself. Ah, you know, maybe they're talking about someone else, but it surely couldn't be me. That's not who they're talking about. I even read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 15, where the Apostle Paul is talking to his young protege, and he's saying... Timothy, I want you to know something. Um, I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst of sinners. And you know how we explain that in our churches today? You know how we'll try to justify that? Oh, wow, yeah, well, Paul was talking about what he had done in the past. Paul was talking about the fact that he murdered and that he was a scoundrel and that he was just very religious, and that's what he's talking about now. You can't say that because when you read that in that context, in that text, it is a present tense verb. I am the worst of sinners, not I have been the worst of sinners. I am today the worst of sinners. Paul knew himself. Paul knew the grace that had been greatly extended to him. I love what what Colossians 3.13 says. It says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I want to give you a few quick equations here as we wrap things up. And, and I hope this leads you to grace. I hope this you choose grace because these are these, these equations that we need to look at to, to have this make sense to us. First of all is this, grace is greater than repayment. 
You know, when we've been hurt, that's really what we want to do. We want repayment. We want, we want to do this. Great, uh, repayment says this, they have to make it right, you know. They've done this, and they have to make it right. And, and I understand that. I, I get that. You know, they have to make it right. They have to make it right. And as I said earlier, can I tell you this? Even when the attempt is to make it right, it always will fall. <laughs> I don't know very many places where it is ever enough for the depth of pain that someone has experienced just to hear words come back. I think it's, I don't know. Does that really add up? Does that really make a difference? They have to make it right. And, and then the second one is grace is greater than revenge. Revenge. I, I find out something about myself because, um, you know, a lot of times uh, the movies I like are the revenge movies, you know, where someone has done somebody harm and then they go after them. Guys, okay, yeah, all right. And I think, wow, I like that. I like somebody getting repaid here, you know. And um, I realize that that's part of my nature. I realize that when I, when I get hurt, what I want is I want repayment. I want revenge. That's what I want. Don't talk to me about grace. I don't want anything to do with grace. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me about grace. What I want is I want revenge. The emotion is so strong. And here's what revenge says. I am going to hurt the person the way that I have been hurt. That's what revenge does. Now, I want to tell you something about grace. Grace, when you give it, doesn't make the pain go away. See, sometimes we think, well, if I give grace, well, then, then all the pain will go away and everything will be fine and dandy. No. No. In fact, sometimes grace means you live with pain. Sometimes you live with hurt. That's what, that's what grace means. And then here's a third one. Grace is greater than resentment. Grace is greater than resentment. I'm going to quietly become more and more angry. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm just going to be passive aggressive. I'm just going to camp out here. I'm living right here in resentment, and you aren't moving me off this. Nobody's moving me off this. This is where I am staying. And in fact, it becomes your house. It becomes your comfort zone. It becomes where, where you live. Listen, the key to giving grace is to stop thinking about what's been done to you and start thinking about what Jesus has done for you. That, that's the key. That is, that is the key. And here's how we're going to close today. I want to close this way. And if you remember last weekend, we had a time of a worship response, of reflection. I want to do the same thing with all of us today. Um, and, and this is what I would like us to do. Um, I, 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 um, I go through the Psalms, you know, I read the Psalms, and, <laughs> and I don't, maybe you've done this, and tell, tell me if you have. Uh, you won't have to raise your hand, it might be too hard to do that, but I'll tell you, I'll confess. Um, when I read the Psalms, and you see the place where David says, And my enemies come against me, and they come to crush my bones. Oh, God, deliver me from my enemies. Uh, If you want a little example of that, it's in Psalm 25, 1 and 2. You can see it right there. And and, and you know what? 
I have grown up reading those psalms and those particular passages, putting a human face on that enemy. Put, putting a human face on that enemy. And I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know how to do this any other way. That's the way I grew up. That's what gave me a little extra mojo when I competed. I would compete and I would look on the other team and I'd find three faces I didn't like and I'd say, I'm going to beat them. That's what I'm going to do. I put a face, a human face on my enemy. And recently I was reading Psalm 25 verses 1 and 2 and the Lord said, why, why, why do you put a human face on that? I didn't have an answer. It's just the way I've done it. I, I, that's enemy, human, face, it all. That's the way I, that's my equation. That's my formula. And just in my quiet time, the Lord says, you know, your real enemy is not attached to a human face. You know who your real enemy is? Your real enemy is repayment. Your real enemy is revenge. Your real enemy is resentment. Your real enemy is unforgiveness. Your real enemy is bitterness. Your real enemy, that is what you should attach in the Psalms as being your enemy. You want to talk about a breakthrough of grace, sitting alone in a quiet time? That was it. I replaced a human face. I took the human face off of it and said, Lord, oh God, forgive me. Unforgiveness is my enemy. Resentment is my enemy. These are my enemies. They're an enemy to what? Do you know anybody who's lived in any of this and, and, and is healthy? No, it's an enemy to our soul. All of these things are. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And if you put a human face on your enemy, I'm going to ask that you take a little time, remove the human face, remove, remove that. And in its place, put, this is what I, this, this is my enemy. Confess it. It's repayment. It's revenge. It's bitterness. It's unforgiveness. Whatever that is, whatever that is for you, take it and say, this is it. God, this is my enemy. This is my enemy. And I know that I just know this. I've experienced it. Like I said, you can't explain all of this. You can experience it. I'm just telling you what I've experienced. I'm just telling you what I've gone through. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you that there's freedom in grace. There's freedom in grace. Let's pray together. Father, um, we come to you and we respond right now. We take, I do, I take the human face. I choose to do that. I choose to take the human face off. Yeah. You know, the, the enemies, for a lot of reasons. One is because you, you love those faces that I see sometimes that, that I make uh, my enemy. You care, you care for them too. And Lord, I just pray that what we would do is take the human face off and that we would look at our own soul deep and be honest with ourselves and say, you know, here's my real enemy. It's repayment, it's revenge, it's resentment, it's unforgiveness, it's bitterness. That's my real enemy. So, Lord, I give that to you. I surrender that to you. And I'm asking that your grace would flood my soul. That your grace is greater than my hurt. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say together, Amen.
You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.